0: Welcome to the Grace Life Church Podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church Podcast. For singing with us this morning. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open with me to the Gospel of John, chapter number one. I'm going to be looking at just one verse this morning, uh, namely, verse 14. And um, in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, uh, sometime in the beginning or in the mid-January, we'll pick up in a new series to the book of Titus. Um, but as we're working there, a couple of one-off sermons and really just more of a sermonette this morning from John's prologue in John chapter 1, looking at this one verse. And so often as you think about it, we really can walk right past Christ and pay Him very little attention. That's true of non-believers who consider the cross of Christ as foolishness. It also happens to Christians when we pay little regard with the way that we live our lives and the power that Christ gives to us through the power of His resurrection and how often we live conveniently oblivious to what Jesus has actually accomplished. It happens not only in the cross of Christ, but it also happens in the incarnation of Christ. What we see in this text is God in the flesh. What a deep, unsearchable reality and great mystery of a child lying in the manger and how often we can pass him by with little to no thought. I want us to consider this morning the wonder of Christ, the wonder of his person, the wonder of his presence, the wonder of his glory and to consider the wonder of John's words in his prologue in John chapter 1, verse 14. This is what John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, would You give us eyes to see Give us ears to hear. May You give us the ability to see Christ and Him crucified in this great text of Scripture. Father, glorify Your Son through Your Word. Glorify Your Son through an unworthy vessel and through an un, such a foolish task such as preaching. God, would You do what only You can do. Pierce hearts, change minds, change lives. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to call your attention to just three points this morning. I want you to see point number one, the wonder of the incarnation. Consider the enormous truth of John's gospel. He begins in his prologue in this way in verse one, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He jumps down in verse 9, he continues writing, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. And then in our text this morning, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glorious from the only Son and from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He is God. And the Word, verse 14, came. Flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, did not come into existence at his birth. No, Jesus is the eternal, eternally begotten Son from the Father. There is never and there never was a time when the Son was not. He has always been, and he always is, and he always will be. And though He did not come into existence in the Incarnation, Jesus did put on human flesh. He became human. And in what way? Beloved, He became human in every way without losing His divinity. He was the God-man Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Truly God and truly man. That's why Paul would write in Colossians, "...for in Him all the fullness of God..." was pleased to dwell in Him. He is the God-man, and He is the one without sin. Consider His humanity this morning, that He had a human body, that He knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it means to cry. He knows what it means to have bled. He knows what it means to have faced death. He felt sorrow. He felt joy. He felt sadness. He felt pain. He experienced temptation and trials and yet he was without sin. And he sympathizes with us now in our weakness, in our trials, and in our temptation. Just like you, he had parents. Just like you, he grew up in the stature and likeness of men. He even learned a trade. He had friends. He had family. Just like you, he paid his own share fair of taxes. And though he was a king... He still made Himself subject to governing authorities. And what you see in the Incarnation is Jesus is embodying the new Adam, the new man, and the new way of living before God. The life that you and I should have lived, but failed to, Jesus now will demonstrate on our behalf. And in the Incarnation, Jesus experienced every trial, every sorrow, every temptation, He identifies with us in all of those things. It is an ever-present reminder that you are not alone. That we are not alone as we go through this life. And here is wonder to be in a relationship with God, to know that God understands us because He has lived among us. He understands this fallen world. He understands heartache. He understands pain. He understands disappointment and sadness. He understands pain. And in the incarnation, Jesus comes to give His life a ransom to save us. And John declares, appearing into the child in the manger is the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And being made and like us in every way, he becomes a merciful and faithful high priest unto God who is able to sacrifice for our sin on our behalf. John's gospel opens in such a way to remind us of a new beginning of sorts. It's very similar to the way that Matthew begins his gospel of a new Genesis. This is why John begins his gospel. Think of the allusion back to even Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. And whereas before the fall, God makes man in his own likeness and image, now after the fall, God must come in the likeness of man to save him from his fallen state. And that's the point of John's prologue in his gospel. To behold the Word of God stepping into his own story as the Redeemer who gives His own life a ransom for sinful humanity, have you considered the love of God in Christ for you in this way? Not that He was just willing to give His life for you, but that He was willing to stoop so low as becoming a human to experience this broken world as you and I experience. And then, in spite of the brokenness, Die a lonely, horrific death in your place. The wonder of the incarnation. Point two: the wonder of the tabernacle. John says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." John pulls our minds to the attention of the exodus account. Exodus account with the word that he uses there for "dwelt," and he dwelt among us. Sinoko is the word in the Greek. It means to pitch a tent or to encamp or to dwell. It means to tabernacle. John has in mind the tabernacle of Israel during the wilderness wanderings in the book of Exodus. It was to be a symbol, the tabernacle was to be a symbol of God's presence in the midst of His people. The design of the tabernacle was very long and very narrow. It was layered in such a way that it would increase your awareness of the presence of God. It contained three primary spaces. There was an outer court, and inside that outer court was then the outer room where the holy place would reside. And then inside the outer room was this inner room, which was called the most holy place, in which the Ark of the Covenant would rest... And it would be the place where God would said to have dwelled with His people. And from an outsider's perspective, there was nothing that was desirable about the structure of the tabernacle. It wasn't shiny in appearance. It wasn't decorated in any ornate garments. In fact, it was made of animal hides. It was designed in such a way that it could be quickly constructed quite fast in various places along Israel's wandering because the wonder of the tabernacle wasn't found within its structure, but it was found within its significance of what it meant. It wasn't about what was on the outside, but it was about the who that was on the inside. God with his people in intimacy and present with them that such a lowly structure on the surface would contain such a lofty reality. And such is true with the person of Jesus Christ. And the tabernacle, because of what it represents to the people, was to be the center of life for the people of Israel. One of the first things that took place on the journey of the people of Israel in the wilderness is when they would camp and when they would stop would be the immediate erecting of this special tent of meeting, this tabernacle. Why? So that worship could take place, so that sacrifice could happen, so that sin could be atoned for, so that praise could erupt, and so that God would receive the glory that is due to Him. It was of first importance to the people. And such is Christ. First importance to us who has tabernacled among us. He is to be our everything. For it is through Christ and Christ alone that we have an atoning sacrifice for sin. It is through Christ and Christ alone that our praise is acceptable before God. And it is through Christ and Christ alone that God is most glorified Jesus is to be our everything. And thirdly, the tabernacle was to be a premier display of the glory of God. And anyone that wanted to see the glory of Israel would need only look at the fiery hot epicenter of the glory of His people in the tabernacle. And John says that same wonder that same importance of God with his people and that same glory is now displayed and is present in the person of Jesus Christ. And how often we walk past the wonder and the glory of the incarnation and the glory of God with his people and continue as living as if it doesn't matter as if His presence matters nothing, as if His glory isn't noticed. But John says His glory really cannot be missed, which is point number three. See the wonder of His glory. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is an amazing truth that John points us to. In effect, John says, to peer into the face of Jesus is to peer into the glory of God. John is likely alluding back to the story in the Old Testament, a time in which Moses in Exodus 33, in which he asked the Lord that he might get a glimpse of his glory. It was a request that Moses could not fully contain, And so God commands Moses to hide in the cleft of the rock, and the Lord will pass by, and God will allow him to see only his backside. This was enough for Moses. In seeing only the backside of the glory of God, Moses would still be arrayed with the Shekinah glory of the Lord before the people when he came down off of the mountain in Exodus 34. And in great amazement, John says to peer into the face of Jesus, though there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire, for he was one from whom men hid their faces. But John says to peer into the face of Jesus is to behold the very glory of God to the degree that to see him is to behold His glory, glory as from the only true God, full of grace and full of truth. The perplexing truth about the glory of God in Jesus, you remember when we preached through the book of Philippians, is that the glory of God in Christ was veiled in humility. Humility. It's why Paul would say, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the very form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, he being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The glory of Jesus was displayed through his humble service To others. The glory of Jesus, the very one through whom the stars and galaxies were formed, would choose to display his glory here on earth by bearing the brokenness of others around him. He would display his glory by defending the destitute, by taking up for the poor and the oppressed, and by loving sinners. And beloved, the very one who would mend our hearts would experience the heartbreak of the waywardness of his own people. Glory for Jesus wouldn't be in exalting himself as king, but it would be through laying his own life down as a ransom for the glory of God and being exalted by his Father and given a name that is above every name. Glory for Jesus wasn't found through self-preservation, but through laying His very life down for ours on the cross and thereby expiating, that is, taking away the sins from us and placing them upon Himself, and also by propitiating, that is, being an acceptable and atoning sacrifice for our sin, the glory of God through Christ would be seen both in this text... In grace and truth. Grace, the unmerited favor reserved, received solely by faith on the grounds of Christ. It is this grace that he gives to us through his own life that we might live. And that is the way in which this grace and truth is intended to be displayed. It is through the lens of the very sacrifice that Christ would make on our behalf. He is the very God of gods who came and tabernacled among us in which the center and the heart of God's people in which atonement was rendered in the tent of meeting in the holies of holies and the place where offerings would be prepared and arranged and slaughtered as a means of making peace through the shedding of blood and in the same way, Jesus Christ would give His life a ransom for the sin of the people and make atonement for their sin and the apex of the cross of Christ is the apex of the glory of God. I'll say that again. The apex of the cross of Christ is the apex of the glory of God. Jesus tells us this much, and that is why He came, that He would glorify His Father. And in John 12, Jesus cries, He says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it is for this purpose that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. And while there are many, Paul says, that would see the cross as foolishness. But for those who are being saved, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1, it is the power of God. But consider the glory of God of God in Christ on the cross. Specifically, see the grace and the truth of the glory of God in Christ as Jesus lays down His life for sinners. Consider the truth that God declares on that day when Jesus is crucified. Consider the truth declared about your sin and about my sin. Beloved, it was no laughing matter. It was not light offenses. When people turned and rebelled and went their own way, as you and I have done, perhaps they have thought just like we have, that I was just doing what I desired. I didn't mean any disrespect. I didn't mean any disobedience. We see ultimately its highest price and final price would be death. Every lie, every vile thought, every impure motive, every sexual deviancy, every prideful tendency, every fleshly and vain pursuit, covetousness, idolatry, slander, gossip, hatred, rejection of God's care and doubting his provision. This would be the only means of riding those offenses so vile, so horrific, that one must suffer and die for them. Consider the truth of who is actually suffering. This is no angel. This is no created being that would suffice for this task. There would be no delicate given from the best that society could give, Nor would any devils be capable of absorbing the wrath of God's hatred for sin. And on the cross, no enemy enemy of God would be crushed under His feet. Instead, it was His only Son. The eternal Son of God who would drink the cup filled to the brim with the very wrath of God against sin and He would drink every drop through His death on a cross so that we might know not only the truth, but also His grace. Grace that flows freely from the cross of Christ in which Jesus now says, anyone who thirsts, come and drink. If anyone is hungry, feed on Me and they will be satisfied. And at the cross of Christ, the grace of God flowed streaming down for the most vile of sinners. Oh, there is a fountain that is filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. And oh, what grace in the cross of Christ! And oh, what truth in the cross of Christ! And oh, what glory is in the cross Of our Redeemer. And John says, to see Him, we have seen Him. And we have seen His glory. Full of truth, and without grace, is just a tyrant. Full of grace, and without truth, is a lie. And John says, you have seen His glory full of grace and truth. It's a couple of truths that I was reading in the, the preparation that I had this week in preparing for this sermon, the Lord brought a couple of things to my mind, just honestly through just general reading. And I was blown away a little later in John's Gospel when John writes in chapter 12... And he alludes back to the writing of Isaiah, specifically of Isaiah's prediction of the coming suffering servant, some 400 plus years before Christ. John says this, "...when Jesus said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them." Verse 37 of chapter 12, "...though He had done many signs before them, they still did not believe Him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled." And he quotes from Isaiah 53, verse 1. Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, and now he quotes from Isaiah 6.10. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. This blew me away in verse 41. John says, Isaiah... Said these things. He said these things about the prediction of the suffering servant who would lay down his life as a ransom for many. He said these things about the glory of God in Jesus Christ giving his life on the cross. John says, He said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. He saw his glory. And he spoke of Jesus. And it just blew me away to consider the truth in John 1.14. But we have seen His glory. Glory from the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The other help that I was helped by, was reading through a devotional. I've been reading through New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. It's a daily devotional, and if you're looking for one for the year 2024, I cannot recommend this more highly. But on December 20th, Paul Tripp wrote these words, and I just found them to be incredibly helpful for the consideration of today. This is rather long, if you could bear with me just a moment, but I just want to read for you just a couple of paragraphs. This is so rich and good, what Tripp writes. Paul Tripp says this, he says, I wish that I could say that sin always appears horribly ugly and destructive to me, but it doesn't. I wish that I could say all the time and in every way, I hate what God hates but I don't. I wish that I could say that I always love what is right, but I don't. I wish that I could say that I never think that my way is better than God's way, but I can't. I wish my heart were forever settled to stay inside God's boundaries, but it isn't. I wish that I could say that my war with sin is over, but it's not. Listen to this. For here's the danger for me and for you, sin doesn't always look sinful to us. It's hard to admit, but sometimes sin actually looks beautiful to us. The man lusting after the woman in the mall doesn't actually see something ugly and dangerous. No, he sees beauty. The guy who is cheating on his taxes doesn't see the moral danger of deception. He sees the excitement of having additional money to satisfy his desires. The woman gossiping on the phone doesn't see the destruction of what she's doing because she has taken up with a buzz of passing a tale. The child who is rebelling against the will of her parents doesn't see the danger that she's placing herself in because she is captivated by the thrill of her temporary independence. Part of the deceptive power of sin in my heart is its ability to look beautiful when it's actually terribly ugly. So we need help. And God in grace has met us with that help. This help doesn't come from us for us first in a theology or set of commands or principles. It comes to us first in a person. God knew that my struggle with sin would be so great that it would not be enough to just forgive me. That forgiveness is a wonderful thing, but I need more. And beloved, what we needed, we have received. And we have received it in the person of Christ. There's a lot of applications that I could pull from that excerpt, but in the end, sin attracts us with glory. The enemy lures us in with glory. We want something that doesn't belong to us. We want glory. We're glory thieves. We want glory and we want it for ourselves. And we want it so bad, we would be willing to do almost anything to have it. And because we are sinners, we are in need of the work of grace to remind us of a greater glory than our own namely the glory of God in Christ. And God in His grace has extended to humanity exactly what we needed most, the very person of God, stepping into His story and dwelling among us, showing us a true and greater glory. And in seeing Jesus, His glory his true glory, we not only now receive grace in our time of need, but we also receive truth to be able to combat the enemy's lies when we're being deceived. And should we in our weakness fall short? We know that we still have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who has laid down his life a ransom. To save us, we have seen his glory, full of grace, full of truth. We have seen him. Behold, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have seen him. Behold, the wonder of the incarnation. We have seen Him. Behold the wonder of God with His people. We have seen Him. Behold the wonder of His glory. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.